The following message was recorded Sunday, November 19, 2023. Pastor Rick continues his series in the book of Acts. After some review, Pastor Rick covers Acts 7 verse 39 through verse 60. Stephen gives his testimony to the high priest and all who sat in the council. Are we ready to do the same? And now, here's Pastor Rick. And where were we? Acts, Acts. And where are we in Acts? Chapter 7. So if you could turn with me there, Acts chapter 7. That's where we want to pick up this morning. Uh, we haven't been there since when? That's right, since October 1st. And so I don't expect you to remember where we were. Exactly, but I'm going to bring back to your remembrance what's been taking place. Remember that Luke, the gospel writer of the book of Luke, right? He also wrote Acts. And so Acts picks up where Luke ends off, the gospel of Luke ends off, and he ends off with what? The promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And that's what he picks up in Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaGodesh, right? The Numa coming upon the apostles. And what was birthed that day? Messianic Judaism. Messianic Judaism. Now, why do I say that? Now, come on, Pastor Ritt, everybody says the church was birthed that day. Well, the church is simply an interpretation of the Greek word ekklesia. And what does ekklesia mean? A called out assembly. So all that means is that on, uh, on Pentecost, when Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, God was calling out unto himself a people to himself. Israel was stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And they had rejected everything that God was attempting to do in their lives. He, he desired so much more for them, but they were satisfied with so little. And we, we know that the Holy Spirit of God, the Ruach HaGodesh in the Old Testament, when did he leave the presence of God there in Israel? Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11 where the Holy Spirit leaves, the presence of God leaves, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, leaves Israel because of their idolatry. And not to return until when? The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And for all those centuries, millennium, God wasn't there and they had no idea. Why? Because they were going through all of their religious, religious or ritual practices, right? There's a big difference between religion and having a relationship with God, isn't there? We'll talk more about that in a minute. But anyway, then later on in, in chapter 3, we saw that uh, Peter, James, and John, or James and uh, Peter, John and Peter specifically, were going into the temple in the gate called Beulah, healed a man who had been lame since birth. But then in chapter 4, 5, we see persecution beginning in the church. Chapter 4, James and Peter, excuse me, John and Peter are arrested by the Sanhedrin. They're released, and again, they go back into the temple. Again, they go sharing Jesus when they were told not to. But then all of the apostles were arrested, weren't they? Yes, and the same warning was given to them, and then they were beaten. They were flogged, scourged. Did they run? No, with such boldness, they went right back to the temple, sharing Jesus as the Meshach Nagid, the Messiah, the King of Israel, the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies. Hmm? And then we moved into chapter 7, and we saw that, that uh, there was a dispute that arose in the church, in the early church, a, a called-out assembly, right, of both Jews and Gentiles. And that dispute was over the fact that the Hellenists weren't being treated fairly. The Hellenists were uh, Jews who 
embraced the Greek culture and Greek language, and so those Jews who were born in Jerusalem, complete Jews as they considered themselves, were prejudiced or discriminatory towards the Hellenists. But they solved that problem by appointing some deacons, right? Remember that? Seven men, full of the Holy Spirit, of good reputation, and what was common among all of them? They all had Greek names. Isn't that interesting? But the first two who are mentioned, we see them later on in the book of Acts. Luke is going to give us some more details about their life, and I'm sure the other five had a significant purpose and a fulfillment in life as well. But we saw Stephen and Philip. Philip, and that's who we're going to be discussing. Philip, maybe in the next week or two, but Stephen this week. Stephen, it said, was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of good reputation. And so they made him a... A table waiter. He was a table waiter. They, now, this group of men would be the first group which we would call deacons, okay? Uh, not officially given that title, but that's really what they were, the deaconos, uh, servants in the church, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, a man of great reputation, and he becomes a table waiter. I wonder what he thought about that. I think he thought it was privileged. And if we can serve God in any capacity and in any way, what a joy it is, isn't it, to serve our king? Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> we were looking at uh, Stephen. He was fulfilling his, his purpose and his calling in his life. God was using him. Great signs and wonders were being performed by this man who was so full of the Holy Spirit. And then a persecution broke out against him, right? This, this early persecution in the church. So turn to me. Go to Acts chapter 7. And I think we'll get a running start so that as we go through the text, it'll bring to your remembrance a lot of what I had shared previously. Uh, what, is, what is distinctive about Acts chapter 7, the whole chapter? Longest chapter, longest sermon in the book of Acts. What was distinctive about chapter 6? The shortest, the shortest, Okay. <laughs> But as we look and we see that uh, Stephen had performed many wonders, he was a wonderful man filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's a jealousy that arose as a result of him. It says in verse 8 of chapter 6, Stephen, full of the faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia. Who was from Cilicia? Cilicia was the providence in which the city of Tarsus was. Paul, Paul, the apostle, Paul the apostle. So it's no wonder why he's there. He was one of the synagogue of the freemen in Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him into the council. And they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this gene, there's the problem, wasn't it? Well, it's not Stephen. Remember what God said to Samuel, 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 it's not you that they're against. It's me, Samuel. Stephen, it's not you that they're against. It's Jesus Hey, beloved, it's not you that they're persecuting. you you got to understand something. You know, when, when, our, when our neighbors or our friends or even our family is rejecting us because of the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives because of Jesus, there, there's a spiritual dynamic that's taking place. They don't understand it, but we should. And so you want to understand that. Don't be offended by that. Where are you going this Thursday? Thanksgiving. You're going to have some family gatherings? 
some family get-togethers? Are you going to be lovingly bold and share what you're thankful for? Why don't you be the first one at the table and say, hey, why don't we go around and tell everybody what we're thankful for, and I'll start, okay? <laughs> Listen, and then don't be surprised if that spirit that you're awakening hmm, may show himself, okay? But, but be bold, beloved. Wasn't Stephen that they were against. No, it was because Stephen was speaking of Jesus. And, and don't you shirk back because, listen, is he coming soon? We sang that, didn't we? Several songs indicated that you think he's coming soon. Do you think that, David? Yeah, I think that too. And so if he's coming soon, that means we have a very short time left. And so, you, listen, you need to be more lovingly bold than you've ever been before in your witness for Jesus. And most will reject you, but some, some... Oh, God will use you to begin to open up their mind and their heart to the truth of who Jesus is. And won't that be glorious? Won't that be all be worth it? Yeah, of course it would. Mm. Well, this man does not seek to speak, to cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, the law, and we have heard him say that this Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as a face of a... Not a deranged individual, not a madman, right? Not a monster. He had the face of a... Have you noticed the difference in the demeanor and the actions of those who are protesting for Palestine and those who are protesting for Israel and the, and the kidnapped Israelis and other citizens of the world? Isn't that, do you see the extreme difference? Hmm. All those violent acts that those pro-Israeli people are committing? No. But just the opposite is true. There, there, listen, there's a spiritual dynamic to this, a spiritual dimension to all of this. this. This is not natural. It is supernatural. What's taking place in our world right now. You need to understand that and be excited, right? Yeah. So they looked at his face, and it was as the face of an angel. Wow. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Well, we're, we're not promised freedom from suffering, from pain, from tribulations, from sorrows in this world, are we? No, 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 not at all. And, and so it would be, it's inappropriate for us to think that uh, we're going to have a hallmark life. You know, no. Oh, there, there's a life coming far beyond anything hallmark could ever create. It's, it's in heaven, right? But, but here, for a little while, we're going to enter the kingdom through much tribulation. Jesus said that, that narrow is the gate, straight is the way, and difficult. difficult. Thank you. He said, narrow is the gate, straight is the way, and difficult to the kingdom. Wait a minute. Things have just started to get happening. Jerusalem's a happening place. The Holy Spirit came upon these Jews and Messianic Judaism was birthed. And now, now Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, is working many signs and wonders. The power of the Holy Spirit working through him in the gifts of the Spirit. Wow, what a ministry. And he's ministering in those gifts, whatever they might have been. And now all of a sudden he's arrested. What do you think Stephen's expectation was? Hmm. No, this can't be. I, Jesus, I'm just getting started for you. Jesus, my ministry has just begun, Lord. And now I'm 
arrested and falsely accused, and, and now they're going to find me guilty and sentence me? Hmm. But like the apostles earlier, now remember when they were arrested and then they were released in chapter 6. It said that they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer, but at the end of chapter 5, look at verse 41. So they departed, all of the apostles. They departed from the presence of the council, and what did they do? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Wow! They weren't victims, they were victors. Now listen, that's exactly the way Stephen sees himself, too. Hey, I've been walking with the Lord for 43 years. I wish that 42 years and six months ago, he took me. I'd be a much happier man. I'd be in a much better place. Is that not true? Yeah. What a glorious thing it would be that every, every individual comes to salvation in Christ, that within just a few months, a few weeks, he takes you off this earth. Wow. Everybody would want to go, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, this is going to be Stephen's privilege. He doesn't have an unrealistic expectation of what he expects God to do. Neither did the other 12. Neither should you. You. And listen, that, that's why so many people suffer shipwreck and step back away from the faith. Why? Because they have an unrealistic expectation of what they expect God to do for them and for theirs. And when he doesn't meet that, well, if that's love, I don't want anything to do with you. Hmm. But God says to the 12, and he says to Stephen, and he says to you and I, beloved, can I trust you? What? With this suffering. Whatever that suffering might be. Whatever that sorrow is. Whatever that tribulation is. Whatever that trial is that you're going through right now. God is asking, can he trust you with this? Trust you to do what? To glorify him and remain faithful. Remain faithful. Now listen to me. There's an hour of trial coming upon the whole world, which is never seen before, nor will ever see again. And many who claim his name now will suffer shipwreck. Why? They have an unrealistic expectation. Who's the most popular preacher in the United States today? Joel Osteen. Name me a few more. Popular preachers. T.D. Jakes, Furtick. What do all these people have in common? They're, they are 3D. They have departed from the faith. They deny the truth, and they're deceiving others. Just as Pastor Darren was sharing on Wednesday night. Departed from the true faith. Denying the truth of God's word. And deceiving a great many number of people. What's new, beloved? Is that new? No, no. The false prophets that were, there was a plurality of false prophets in Israel of old. And there was only a handful of true prophets. And what did Israel do to them? Every one of them denied the truth, departed, denied, and deceived. That's what's happening today, beloved. Hmm. But you're not a victim. We are victors in Christ. And so whatever shame we have to endure, whatever suffering, whatever sorrow we have to endure because of our love for Jesus, it's a badge of honor, isn't it? We should be counting it a privilege. 
Did you hear about the young pastor, 26 years old? He's been preaching on the street corner in Arizona every Monday night for a number of weeks now. What happened to him? Shot in the head. Murdered. They, listen to me. This hatred for Israel and for the Jews is nothing different, is it? No. Goes all the way back to Egypt. We, we saw the worst manifestation of it at the Holocaust with the Nazis. But with these butchers, with these barbarians, with these demonically influenced people did on October 7th, makes what the Nazis did pale in comparison. If you read some of those accounts, it made me sick to my stomach just to read them. Felt nauseous. So many of the news media throughout the world have, that have seen some of those selected videos were speechless. Many of them weeping as they saw the violence that was being carried out. But just as in Nazi Germany, when Hitler got done with the Jews, who was he going after next? The Christians. Make no mistake. Why? They're the two people of God. They're the ecclesia. Israel and the bleeding Gentiles, right? And so just make no mistake about it in the near future. Listen, they're going to be coming after the, the Jew now, Israel, but they're coming after us next. But rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven when they persecute you. Say, all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. Isn't that what he said? Now, are you prepared for that? Are you mentally prepared for that, emotionally prepared for that? I hope you're spiritually being prepared for that. Stephen, completely caught off guard. He had no idea that this was going to happen on that day. But how the power of the Holy Spirit worked in his life to make him victorious, not the victim, to allow him to live for the glory of God, whether I live or whether I die, as Paul would say, let it be for the glory of God. Amen? So in chapter 7, Verse 1, the high priest said, and we've been here before, are these things so? And I think he, he probably fired up one of those quick arrow prayers. Lord, help. Two words. Lord, help. And he said, he being Stephen, brethren and fathers, listen. The glory of the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he went into Haran. And from there, when his father had died, he moved him into the land which we now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no children, he promised to him to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring, he would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they were in bondage, I will judge, says God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs, right? And so Stephen is rehearsing the genesis of the history, the beginning of the nation of Israel. It was a family, Jacob's family. They went down into Egypt, into that foreign land. They were in bondage there 400 years, but they didn't come out a family. They come out a nation, the people of God. They came out Israel, hmm? 
He goes on to continue to rehearse their history. And what Stephen is going to present for them over and over and over again, they're always rejecting the will of God, the man of God, the purposes of God, the ways of God. You'll never surrender to the will of God if the Holy Spirit hasn't come into your life and your heart first. Then you'll see that surrender, that beautiful surrender to God's will. Without reservation, completely. I've been asking you for the last several weeks, do you know your purpose? What is your purpose? You're living for pleasure or you're living for purpose? At the end of it all, don't you want to be able to say, at least I did all that he asked me to do? Or did you live for yourself? Not even asking the question, why, Lord? Why am I here? Why have you saved me, Lord? What have you called me to do? What did Paul say when he was apprehended on Damascus Road? Who are you, Lord, and who are you, Lord, and what? What would you have me to do? And he spent the whole rest of his existence fulfilling the purposes of God. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Don't sit and sulk and, and wallow in your self-pity. Listen, we have a glorious opportunity right now at this time in human history. It is the, it is the greatest opportunity for the church to be the church for the called on assembly to glorify God, to fulfill that, that mysterion of Colossians, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You understand that? There's going to be a lot of sorrow and a lot of suffering and a lot of trials, but listen, we are called to glorify God in it all. Hmm. So he goes on. Now he's going to talk about the fact how they not only reject God, his ways, his will, his men, his people, all the time. He talked about Joseph first. Look at verse 9. And the patriarchs, being envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. He delivered him out of his troubles, and he gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan, and his fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh, then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the, the father of Shechem. That was the cave of Machpelah, remember? Yeah, now he's going to use another patriarch. Now, they rejected Joseph the first time, didn't they? They weren't seeing God's purposes and God's will in his life. Now he's going to talk about Moses. Verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near. What was the promise? The promise was in verses 6 and 7. Look again. Verses 6 and 7 is where the promise is found. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they would be into bondage, I will judge God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. So this is the promise he's talking about. God is going to deliver them after the 400 years of bondage, just as he said. I wonder how many generations thought maybe God forgot about us. Hmm? You ever think that? God forgot about you? No, never. Nay. No. Just as God has sovereignly elected Israel, he sovereignly chose you. And if God will not keep his promises to Israel, there's no reason for you or I to believe he'll ever keep his promises to us. Do you understand that? That is so important. But yet there are so many today denying 
that Israel has any significance in the eyes of God, in the plan of God, in the heart of God. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Please look at the text. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Verse 19 now. This man dealt treacherously with our people, oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. And at this time Moses was born and well-pleasing to God, and he brought him up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up in her own as her own son. And Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deed. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended, defended and avenged him who oppressed and struck him down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand and the next day he appeared to two of them who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, men, you are brethren. Why do you do wrong to one another? But he who, was, who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away and said, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. And Moses said that it was marveled at, his, at the sight of it. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of the living, not the dead. Right, beloved? Amen. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. Weren't you singing that all creation groans right now? Groaning? Are you groaning, beloved, for the return of the Lord? I wake up every morning groaning, groaning. I go to bed at night groaning. Lord, may this be the night where I close my eyes here and the next time I'll open them and be in your presence. Oh, wasn't that a glorious thought? Hmm? Yeah. Yes, take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and I have come down to deliver them. And now come and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had sworn, shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Wow. Now, we've been through all of this, remember? I hope, hope it brought a lot of things to your remembrance. And I said, you know, there are so many analogies that you can make with regard to the life of Joseph and the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. But remember particularly what we said about these two men, Joseph and Moses? Both of them rejected by their brethren the first time. Was Jesus rejected by his brethren when he came to them? Yes, he came to his own, and his own would not receive him. There's another coming in his own name. Isn't it interesting that the Pope said something recently about the Antichrist? What did he say? Anybody know? That he's here now. Isn't that interesting? The Pope declared that the Antichrist is here on earth right now. We know that the Antichrist is a man, a man dwelt by the spirit of Satan. He's not supernatural, but he's dwelt by a supernatural being. But we know that both Joseph and 
Moses were rejected by their brethren when they came to them the first time. As Jesus was rejected by his brethren when he came to them the first time. But in both cases for Joseph and Moses, when they came to their brethren the second time, they received him. They saw Moses. They saw Joseph and the purposes and the plans for which God has called them to be deliverers, right? Yeah. And Joseph went down to Egypt, and during those very difficult years of the famine, he was the savior of those Gentiles down there, wasn't he? And how did the Pharaoh reward him? By giving him a Gentile bride. Rejected by his own, savior of the Gentiles, receives a Gentile bride by whom he has two children. What were were his boys' names? Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Moses the same. Moses was rejected by his brethren the first time. And then where does he go from there? Midian. And what happens when he first arrives in Midian? Who does he rescue? Who does he save? The seven daughters of Jethro. The seven daughters of Jethro are saved from those evil shepherds by the hand of Moses. So Moses is rejected by his own. He goes to the Gentiles, becomes the savior of the Gentiles. And what did Jethro offer him? Zipporah, my daughter. Take her as your bride. And she bore him two sons. Wow. But in each case, the second time, the second time Joseph was seen by his brothers, they received him. The second time Moses came to his brother and they received Oh, Jesus, come quickly. Show yourself to Israel, Lord. Because they will receive you the second time. But where did Jesus go after he was rejected? Unto the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit. Listen to me. When we get done with chapter 7, God's witness to Israel through the person of the Holy Spirit with regard to Jesus being the Messiah of Israel is over. It's going to go unto the Gentiles now. It'll go just as, just as it's planned to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's, what, that's what's happening now, you see. We're, we're the Gentile bride that has been called out. And children galore. Hmm? And, and our opportunity is to produce more, right? Not just biological children, but keep going, keep going, you know? But, but spiritual children as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't it amazing? Is this all a coincidental? No, not at all. No, 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 not at all. Hmm. New ground now, verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from their brethren, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now this was in Deuteronomy that that Moses is declaring, one greater than I will come, another prophet. And he was speaking of Jesus, wasn't he? Of course he was, yeah. But if you talk to an Orthodox rabbi today and you ask him, how, how will you know when the Messiah comes? What will they say? The Messiah will be a man as Moses was a man. And he will allow us to rebuild our temple. Wow. Is that the covenant that is going to be made with the Antichrist? That begins that seven-year period, which we call Jacob's trouble, or the time of the tribulation, or the first three and a half years, and there appears to be a peace and prosperity throughout the globe? We'll talk more about that on Sunday nights. Oh, there's so much I want to share with you, and I, ho- I hope we get to... Well, if we don't get to share it next Sunday night, we'll share it together in heaven, okay? 
will sit at Daniel's feet and Zechariah's feet and, and Habakkuk's feet and Zephaniah's feet. And wow, it all, listen, it's all going to come together. It's amazing how all the puzzle pieces are all getting put in place. Isn't it? Yeah, this is that Moses, you know, who foretold of the Christ who would come. Now, just as they rejected Joseph, just as they rejected Moses, they're rejecting Jesus and all of God's plans, purposes, his will. This is he who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel. Who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel? Moses. Wait a minute. Do you have a King James Bible? Anybody? It doesn't say congregation. What does it say? Church. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How could Moses be with the church and the angel in the wilderness? That's long before Pentecost had ever been fulfilled. Is that not true? Well, well, come on, explain that to me. How can he say that Moses was with the church in the wilderness? That's exactly right. Because listen to me, he uses the same exact Greek word, ekklesia. He, Moses was with the ecclesia in the wilderness with the angel of God. Now, the angel, if you go to, uh, go to Isaiah 6, 63, I think it is, yeah. Go to Isaiah So God is declaring the judgment and the salvation of Israel. But here, and I want to look at, in particular with regard to what we're looking at in Acts chapter 7, this period of history where Moses was with the angel in the ecclesia, the congregation in the wilderness. Verse 9, in all their affliction, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Who was? God was. Jesus. Listen, listen. When, 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 Jesus says to Paul, 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 why are you persecuting me? How and in what way was Paul persecuting Jesus? Persecuting his people, the body of Christ. You see, in, in every way in which we're afflicted or we suffer or we go through tribulation or trials, he's right there in the midst of it with us because he's called us unto that suffering. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Do you understand? And when you're going through those trials, those sufferings, those tribulations, you say, God, God, strengthen me to be able to glorify you through all of this, that I would be worthy to suffer this shame for you and for your name. So what does it say? 63.9? Isaiah 63.9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them, and he carried them all the days of old. Oh, but they rebelled and grieved this Holy Spirit. Hmm? Yeah. Now, who is the angel? Do angels save you? Do angels redeem you? So who is the angel? Of course, of course. And so that's what he's saying here. So go back to Acts chapter 7. Okay? This is he who was in the congregation, the ecclesia, the called out assembly in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. That's Jesus and our fathers. And with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. What are the living oracles? The word of God. We talked about, listen, do you understand? Is it alive? The word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Is that right? Is the word of God alive in your life? 
No, it's not a living article, and it's not the living word if you're dead to it. But boy, when you're alive to it, it speaks to you every single time you open up the book. Every time you get into the, Lord, show me again. Your person, your presence, your power, your love. Show me, Lord. Because truly, the living oracle, the living word is Jesus, right? The, the written word shares with us the truth of the living word. Hmm? So that's what he's talking about, how Moses received the living oracle, oracles to give to them, whom the fathers did not obey, but rejected. Rejected Joseph, rejected Abraham, rejected Moses, rejected the oracles, the truth of God's word. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods who go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf, and in those days offered sacrifices to the idol, rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And then God turned and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven. When did that happen? Exodus chapter 32, go there. Exodus 32, please. Moses is up on the mount receiving living oracles that most of Israel will be dead to. It won't be alive to them. But it was alive to Moses. It was alive to Joshua. It was alive to Aaron. Is it alive to you? But look at verse 7, chapter 32, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Who corrupted them? God will never corrupt you, will he? God cannot be tempted, nor will he ever tempt you. God has the highest and best in mind for each of us, but we purpose is to corrupt ourselves. How could we be so foolish when God has so much more in mind? Corrupted themselves, it says. They, they have turned aside quickly. Get out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made themselves a, a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What? <laughs> Verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said to him, it's not the noise of excuse me, not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing that I hear. And so it was as soon as they came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing. Now, I, I don't know how, how much of what took place on October 7th was as a result of the... Uh, introduction of some euphoric drugs. But I think it was more an influence of Satan. And, and we know that the children of Israel, in worshiping this golden calf, in dancing around, were out of their minds induced by their drugs, the pharmakia. Where, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're in the wilderness. Where do these drugs come from? They brought it with them from Egypt. They had their own little stash. 
Not you, right? No, 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 no. You, no, it wouldn't be the little wine, something in your medicine cabinet, maybe in your drawer. It helps you just cope. Listen, those are cheap substitutes for what only the most high can do in giving you the strength that you need to get through life and all of its troubles. As soon as Moses was gone, and they, rather than trust God and, and be obedient and wait upon the Lord, and we, we just sang, wait, wait, wait upon the Lord, and he will tell us what to do, where to go, what to say. Is that true? Wait. Wait on the Lord. Don't shortchange yourself in what God wants to do in your life. They brought that stash with them. Now, now listen to me. They created this image. And they began to sacrifice to the image. And they began to sing songs and worship the image and dance around the image. What would we call that? Call it religion. It's religion. Where did this religion come from? Egypt. It was, listen, it was the religion of the Egyptians. This is religion. There's a, listen, what's the difference between religion and theology? Relationship. One, religion begins with man. It's created by man. And all of those religious practices and beliefs, all of the religions of the world, all the isms of the world, every one of them is man's attempt by his own ability, his own creation, his own imagination, winning approval before God by his works. Impossible. You can't. You know how bad you are? I know how bad I am. And God allowed me to be married so I can be reminded of that. <laughs> it's a wonderful object. That's, what they, that's one of their callings, you know. <laughs> yeah, amen to that, brother. <laughs> well, all kidding aside. <clears throat> every other ism, every other ism, when you boil it down, is man's attempt at winning approval before God by their works. Is that possible? No. I, I'm a Roman Catholic for 30 years of my life, come out of Romanism. Romanism or Catholicism is a works salvation. It's a man attempting to work his way to approval before God. You cannot do it. It's impossible. The Jews in Jesus' day were trying to, to win approval before God by their obedience to the law and their pharisaical, judgmental, legalistic attitudes. Could they do that? Is that possible? No. The wisest man in Israel came to Jesus by night. What was his name? Nicodemus, one of the most, he was the rabbon of rabbis. He was the teacher of teachers, right? And he came to Jesus by night because he knew he fell short. Good teacher. No one can do the things you do, at least they come from God. Jesus cuts to the chase. He knows exactly why he's there. He's looking into his heart, just as he looks into your heart and mine. And he said, Nicodemus, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus was trying to work his way to the kingdom, and he knew he wasn't worthy. Do you know you're not worthy? Right. The only thing we're worthy of is a judgment. For all have and fall short. How many might all be? Does that include Mary, too? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> oh, but all, listen, only Christianity is God coming down and doing for man what he could never, ever, ever, ever do for himself. He fulfilled the righteousness of the law. And then he died on our behalf. The substitute, the propitiation. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. 
but the difference between religion and theology. Religion is man-made. It's centered around man. It begins with man and his uh, ridiculous, erroneous attempts and imaginations to try to reach God by his own works and his own approval. No way. Impossible. We call that pride, don't we? Pride of man. But in theology, theology begins with who? What does theology mean? The knowledge of God. It means the knowledge of God. Now, and, and, and with theology, it starts with God. Now, how can I attain the knowledge of God? By my presuppositions? By my speculations? By my own imagination? No, God has revealed himself to me and to you and to the world. God's revealed himself basically in three forms, right? What's the first way in which God has revealed himself to the entire world? Through creation. Romans tells us that. Then what does creation tell us about God? His creative power, his genius, his love. Creation tells us that. Now, now, it doesn't give us a specific understanding of who this creator is, but listen to me. The, the evolutionists who become believers in, in um, help me, help me, help me. What is it? Intelligent design. Intelligent design. Thank you, John Michael. I'm not so intelligent but I need your help. So when, when an when a atheist becomes a believer in intelligent design, it's because of the science. Science supports the fact that all of this could not have happened by chance. What did Moses say? I mean, excuse me, what did Aaron say when Moses came down and the golden calf is there and they're worshiping? And Aaron said, hey, they made me throw the gold into the fire and out came the calf. <laughs> and what did Moses say? You idiot. You expect me to believe that? You threw the gold in the fire and out came the calf. You expect me to believe that? Listen, that's easier to believe than this nonsense these evolutionists are trying to cram down people's throats today. That time plus matter plus chance equals you? Impossible. All of the intricate processes of life, from the, from the macro to the micro, have to all be there at once for it to function. Do you understand? It doesn't evolve. My eye with the thousands and thousands of connections to my brain through that nerve process, right? It didn't, it didn't develop as some slime creature came out of the primeval sludge and a sun freckle developed on its skin and became an eyeball. That's no, that's what they believe. That's preposterous. It's ridiculous, right? Hmm. Religion. There's too many religionists today. It's the God of their own. It's the God of their own understanding of their own making. You understand? And that's the majority of the world, even Christian. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not Jesus, the one who created it all. Make sure you're in pursuit of the knowledge of God. He revealed himself first and foremost through creation. What's the second way in which God has decided to reveal himself to the world? The living oracles, the living oracles, which, which the final solution that the enemy came up with and put into the imagination of Hitler, the final solution was to get rid of the people of the book. You get rid of the book. They're originators of the living oracles of God. They're the ones who bring about an understanding of what is right and what is wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. Isn't it? Second Timothy 3.16, yep. <laughs> exactly. And so Hitler came up with a final solution. We're going to get rid of the problem of guilt and shame by getting rid of the law. 
The law, the living oracles, present for us the moral and ethical perfection of God, and that you have to be one who is perfect in order to come into the presence of this all-perfect God. And who might that be? Jesus. He's the only one. Jesus. Yeah, not you. That's why there was the whole sacrificial system, which all was a symbol, a type, a shadow of things to come, of which Jesus Christ was a reality. You study through that whole sacrificial system. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. When you connect all the dots, when you understand the Israelogy of the Bible, it's fascinating. It's impossible for man. But, but there was a righteousness that one could receive by believing what, the, what those sacrificial system presented that would come in the future. That prophet greater than Moses, that one who would be the ultimate sacrifice, the burnt offering, the simph offering, the fellowship offering, the peace offering for God and his people. Jesus himself, right? So there was a righteousness that you would receive in the Old Testament by leaving, by believing the promise of the one to come. And going through that system of sacrifice, which spoke of Jesus, every single sacrifice speaks of Jesus. It's fascinating when you study that. Hmm. Religion. It was religion that killed all the prophets. It was religion that killed John the Baptist. It was religion that crucified Jesus. It is religion that's going to kill Stephen. It is religion that is still trying to commit deicide today. The Jews, the church, bring us an understanding of God. Now, we had a representation of God, a revelation of God, not, not speculation, Right? Not presupposition. It was the revelation of God in creation, the revelation of God in the law, and then finally the perf perfect revelation of God through Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. Now, we, we, we need no more revelation. And, and that's what God has given. It's not speculation. Science is man's speculation. The Bible's God's revelation. You understand? And whenever the two have been in contention, the Bible always wins. Just give the situation enough time, the truth will be revealed. The earth is flat. Don't you know that? <laughs> no, the Bible never said that, did it? No, no, no. Be careful. It's the religionists of our day that are going to persecute us more than anybody else. Just as in Jesus' day, just as in Stephen's day. Look at the text. Yes, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And then God turned them over and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven. Who are the hosts of heaven? Demons. Listen to me. Hosts of heaven and the hosts of heaven are always referring to angels. In this, in this context, it's referring to those negative hosts of heaven, those one-third of the angels that followed Lucifer. Remember, we don't, we, how many angels are there in heaven? There's a lot. We just, know, we just know there's a lot. Now, we do know they're divided up into three companies, aren't they? The three companies are under the command of who? Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. So, so we have a two-to-one advantage over the demons. There's, for every demon, for every bad angel, there's two good angels, right? 
because the Bible tells us that, that Gabriel is in charge of a third, that Michael is in charge of a third, and Lucifer, the shining one, he was in charge of a third, but he rebelled. In Revelation chapter 12, that war in heaven tells us that his tail took a third of the angels, the stars of heaven with him in that rebellion. They followed him. Hmm. And as I said to you before, you know, I have a theory. Michael, the archangel Michael, was the, is the almighty, right? When, when, when somebody needs to be taken out, when, see, when Satan is finally put away where he belongs, who's going to do that? Michael, the almighty. Michael represents who? God the Father. God the Father, the almighty. Michael was created to minister on behalf of God the Father. Gabriel, on the other hand, whenever we see Gabriel mentioned, what is Gabriel doing? Messages. Sending messages everywhere, isn't he? And who is the messenger? the Holy Spirit. And I believe Gabriel was created to minister on behalf of the Holy Spirit. And so he does. Whenever you see Gabriel, it's a man. Whether that message is to Daniel or to Zechariah or, or to Mary and Mary, you know. Now, Hasatan, the shining one, the day star. Who was he created to minister on behalf of? Jesus. But he became jealous and envious and wanted the worship that belonged to Jesus only. Hmm? So that's what he's talking about. When they, he, God is giving them over to worship demons because they wouldn't accept the truth. They no longer had a love for the truth. Do you understand that's precisely what's happening in our day right now? The only way to understand the madness, the insanity, and the evil that's so pervasive now is that's demonic. And as I shared with you before, these, these demonic entities that seduce God's people through materialism, with Baal, through sexual pleasure, with Astrid, through, through child sacrifice because of the unwanted children that would be birthed, right? Through Molech, and then finally Nemosh, the underworld, right? Now, those, those pagan deities and idols are nothing but the demons behind them. They are real. That's the host of heaven he's talking about. And now God has given the world over to worship the hosts of heaven. That's the only way you can explain this. Please understand that. And don't think I'm insane. Don't think I'm out of my mind. Study the scriptures. Look with test. Step back. Take a look at what is happening globally. The only way to understand the global insanity, the, the global madness today, the host of heaven. Then God turned them or gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifice during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? What's the answer? No. You also took up the tabernacle of who? Molech. And Molech offered, was, what was the principal sacrifice you had to make to worship Molech? Child sacrifice. When, when, when do we not murder children? Never. In the history of man, we've been murdering our children. Why? Because Satan knows, God said, the greatest gift he'll give us is our children. Children. You want to have more children and you can't take care of them? I'll take them. Okay? We can't do that anymore, but maybe you can, and we'll take them. Okay? Children are a reward from the Lord. Children are such a blessing. Emily, how you doing? Wonderful. You know, a woman never looks more beautiful when she's, than when she's expecting. You know that? And you shine. You do. Yeah. Isn't it true? Yeah. But we have such a disregard for children today. And, and, and those that we haven't purposed to destroy in the womb, 
They come out into this world and we bring such confusion, such chaos into their lives. They have no idea what's right and what's wrong. And now there's gender dysphoria. All we're, all we're, it's just rebellion against God. God said he created them male and how many genders are there? Two. And I don't care what kind of drugs you take. I don't care how much you mutilate your body. You can't do anything to change that. You understand that? And it's crazy when we accommodate that and become complicit in that delusion, in that deception. You can't do that. Tell the truth honestly and lovingly. It's insanity, isn't it? Gave them up to the host of heaven, worshiping Molech. Oh, and the star of your god, Rimfan. Who's Rimfan? Darren, did you save those pictures I sent you? I, I went the first one with that ugly little creature in the middle of it. What, what is the star of Rimfan? You don't know. You're going to be shocked. Oh, wait a minute, wait. Don't show me yet. Next month, we're going to celebrate what? Is that when he was born? No. Are you sure? Yes. Come on. You mean there's not a biblical reference for the fact that we should be celebrating his birth on December the 25th? Is there any spiritual reference whatsoever that we should be celebrating his birth? No, no, no. The feast that we should be celebrating, the holidays that the Bible tells us we should be celebrating, all of us in the ecclesia that called out assembly are what? The Feast of Israel, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Tabernacle, Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah is a Jewish New Year, but that coincides with the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. And then lastly, and, and God says in his word in Leviticus 23, those are the only holy holidays he tells you to celebrate, and he says you're going to celebrate them now and most Gentiles don't know anything about them. But they just got through celebrating what last month? I'm walking my dog on Halloween night, and, and I got so many of my neighbors are out there in the front of their yards, and they're giving candy away. And one of the fellas said to me, how come you're not giving candy away? I said, I know too much about this day to celebrate it. Do you understand? I mean, you probably don't. That's the most holy day for a Satanist. Halloween. Okay, let's talk about Christmas. Where'd that come from? It's a pagan holiday. Saturnalia. The shortest day of the year. Now the days are going to get longer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wasn't given to us by God. And you're going to be shocked when you discover the star of Rimfen. Show me that first one. This is Saturn and Molech. That's the head of Saturn and Molech. Centuries before, right? Now, what is this star? Ah. No, it's not, it's not the star of David. Long before it ever became the star of David, it was associated with occultism and evil. Did you know that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the star of Rimpen. Show me the next slide, Darren. What does that say? The star of David, nowhere in the Bible or in the Talmud is this referenced as the star of David. However, the Bible does reference this to be the star of belonging to ay, 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 ay. Ay, you know, How crazy is that? 
Now, listen, don't take my word for it. I told you to be good Marines. Don't ever believe anything I tell you. You go home, search the scriptures, and discover if this be so. Long before it was ever called the Star of David, it was a satanic symbol. It was an occultish symbol. I, you know, I, I, just as I believe there is so much that the church, Christendom, celebrates today that's an offense to God, what does everybody go home and have on, uh, on Resurrection Sunday when they get done celebrating? Brett, can you imagine a good Jew celebrating Passover and going home and having a ham? No. You Gentiles are out of your mind. You're, what do we call them, Mike? Kagoots? Stunad? Tuzipas. That's listen to me. That's the star of Rimfan. Beloved, be careful. There, there, there's so much deception that's taking place, even among, listen, you can't trust anyone. Don't trust me. Don't trust anything I tell you. That's the safest thing that you can do. You search the scriptures, you go back, look at history, and you validate that everything I share with you is true. And if it's not true, then you come and you talk to me. Because I don't want to share anything that's not true. But there are so many deceivers today. People who were evangelicals that were trusted greatly in our society, in the church. And now they're heretics. <sighs> Big conference just took place in Atlanta. Big church conference, church-wide conference. And two of the principal speakers were two men who were married to each other. You got to accept this. Don't you understand that? God is doing something different now. He's doing something new. You need to accept what God previously called abhorrent. How is it that we are legislating in our laws, making legal things that God says in an abomination? And yet so many find it acceptable. I could mention some names right now. It would shock you. You'd probably fall off your, your chair. The people who are caving in to this nonsense. Listen to me. You need to stand for truth. I celebrate Christmas, but not its origin. And I don't celebrate it by, by the commercial craziness that exists today. I celebrate Christmas by remembering the greatest gift that was given to me. And it wasn't given to me in December. All, the probable time of his birth was probably September, October. And we can prove that biblically. And I believe he was born on one of the feast days, just as he fulfilled all the other feast days. And what feast day would that have been? Tabernacles. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God tabernacling with us, right? And when he comes again, the second time, the second coming of Jesus Christ, not for the church, the church, the coming of the church, I think, will be at the Feast of Trumpets. Israel will be open, their eyes will be open, their hearts will swell on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But on Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus will return. Step foot on planet Earth. How many of you have never heard of the Migdalator? Raise your hand if you've never heard of the Migdalator. Okay, a couple of you. I'm going to share that with you at Christmas. It'll be my Christmas message. That's a fascinating truth. That seems to be hidden from the world. Why? Too Jewish. It's too Jewish. Hmm. Quickly. Very quickly. Our fathers, now they reject the tabernacle and all the symbolism of the tabernacle. Verse 44. 
Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, and he appointed and instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that it was seen, which our fathers, having received it, in turn also brought with Joshua in the land of promise by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. They're talking about how, how they rejected all of the symbolism that takes place in the construction of the ark and all the implements of the ark. You know, it, it's, it's a fascinating study. I think, Pastor David, you mentioned it last week in your teaching, didn't you? Yeah. Go ahead and, and spend some time to discover. If you've never, never looked into it to, to discover for the first time, or if you have before, rediscover all the meanings of the implements of the construction of the tabernacle. It all speaks of the redemptive work of Jesus. All of it, just as the feasts do. It's amazing. But they rejected all of that. And Jesus was the fulfillment of it. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You know that song? What's that song that David leads us into all the time? Where's the house? Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. I don't have much of a voice today. Where is the house you have built for me? Who of you will hear the cry of my heart? Where will my resting place be? All right, go on, sing it. Here, O oh Lord, have I prepared for you a home. Long have I desired for you to dwell. Is that your response? No, that's what he's talking about. He doesn't dwell in temples. No, 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 no. Psalm 139 tells us there's nothing, nothing could contain God, but God purposes to make his dwelling place where? In your heart and mine. Isn't that amazing? That we would become the dwelling place of God? Wow. That's what he's talking about. And it's not religion. It's a relationship. Religion is associated with the law, and the law kills. Relationship is associated with the spirit, and the spirit brings life. Yeah. With the worship of Molech and the golden calf, 3,000 died. With the reception of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 became born again. Are you? I'm talking to the choir. Hmm? But you, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold of the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels but have not kept it. What did they say that, that when Pilate offered them Jesus instead of Barabbas? Let this man's blood be upon us and our children. Wow. Do you know that's what's happened? Matthew 27, 25, I think it is. Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, Pilate is offering them Jesus or the devil. What do you want? 
And they screamed out, Barabbas, Barabbas. And what should I do, he said, of this man who is innocent and his innocent blood? And what did they say? Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Do you understand what's what's happened? And just as was predicted, Jesus said the temple would be destroyed. And just a few years later, the temple is destroyed by the Romans and the Jews are dispersed throughout the nations of the world, never to become the nation of Israel again until 1948, when the leaves of the fig tree turned green. It was a miracle. (laughs) And all these covenant theologians, these Presbyterians who claim to believe the sovereignty of God, don't trust the sovereignty of God in the election of Israel. They have a real problem today because those Jews are back in the land and Israel's a nation among the nations and Hebrews are resurrected language. Wow. Nothing short of a miracle. You understand that? But it doesn't fit their narrative. And so what, 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 what's being embraced more and more, even in Baptist circles, which shocks me, is this. What, what is this theology we talk about? Replacement, replacement theology. And what is replacement theology? They believe that the Gentiles have replaced Israel. No, 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 no. You're grafted in. You're of the children of Abraham by faith. You're the bride of Christ. What kind of a wedding are you having? Jewish. It's a Jewish wedding. Who's your bridegroom? He's a Jew. What kind of a festival are you going to have at the wedding? It's going to be Jewish. Huh? You won't have Italian wedding soup. As much as I love it. What's your matzah? <laughs> Yes, you killed the just one. When they heard these things, they were convicted, but they weren't convinced. Listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen on Thursday, but be bold. You know, pray, please pray. Pray for Paul and Christina. They're both unsaved, but I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner with them. And, and, and my wife and I have been praying now that, that God would give us a loving boldness to be able to share the truth. Many, many years ago, I shared the truth with Paul, and he prayed to receive the Lord at California Dreaming. But there's been no fruit, no evidence of any change whatsoever. So you can make an emotional response, but not a volitional surrender of the will. You understand that? By Billy Graham's own statistics, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, 97% of the people come forward, 97 out of 100, 97 out of 100, make an emotional response. That's all it is. It's not a volitional change. 3%, 3%, however, 3% experience a transformed life. I came to know the Messiah of Israel in the summer of 1980, and I've never been the same since. Never. Someone say, my father would say, what happened to you? What could I say? I was one way, and then I met him, and now I'm another way. Isn't that true? Yeah. Do you remember who said that? Ever hear that before? I don't recommend the series. It's called The Chosen. <laughs> but Mary Magdalene in that series, they asked her what happened to her. The demons were out of her now. She was in her right mind. And she said, I don't know. I, can't look at that. I was one way, and I met him, and I'm another. I can cry with joy. This happened to me. Did it happen to you? I hope so. That's the difference between religion and a relationship.
Yes, they were convicted, but not convinced. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth, like those propound stomach rallies. <laughs> and he, being filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven, saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is where? He's seated at the right hand of God. This is what the Bible tells us. But when does he stand? Every time a believer goes to heaven. Every time a, to be absent from the body is to be. And he stands to receive us. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Yeah. Look, you see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. Listen, they, they, they don't want to know the truth. You can't receive the truth until the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and your life. Begins to open your mind to the truth. And so that's what we need to pray. You know, my, my, the Thursday at that gathering, we need, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God begins to go before us to open up minds and hearts. And you pray the same thing. Don't just stuff your face with turkey. Share the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Who knows? You might have a table full of religionists. Still trusting in their own works. I'm a good poison. Yeah. How'd that work out for the rich young ruler? Mm, not well. Not well at all. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. This is when the witness of the Holy Spirit with regard to the person of Jesus ends in Jerusalem. It will be no more. There's just so many times what God will knock on the heart. Only God knows that last time when he finally says no. What happened with Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart. 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 What happened in number 10? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to date myself, okay? When I was born, my little booties were bronzed. And there was a little picture of me. I was the ugliest baby you've ever seen. You know, I, mean, I, I was ugly. I was ugly. Bald and just ears, you know? What do you mean I look like that now? You, you, no, you ever, did your parents, did your mom do that for you? How many? Yeah, you remember that? Remember that? Yeah, the bronze shoes? Okay, now, now, your little booties were cast in bronze. What's bronze a type of? What's the metal bronze, what is it? What is it? Judgment. Judgment. That's precisely what it's saying, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, cast it in this bronze disposition of judgment. He hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, and no more. Listen. The witness to Jerusalem has been centuries old, millennium old, since Moses received the living oracles on Sinai, and they rejected him, and rejected him, and rejected him, and rejected him, and God is so patient, and God is so long-suffering, but this is the final witness of the Holy Spirit with repression to the Messiah of Israel, and now it goes to the Gentiles. This point on. Now, I, 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 I don't know, you know, my, my wife, she just, you know, she's, she's a... Ever read any bunny, right? You never give up on anybody. Never give up, never give up, never give up. Praying, witnessing, praying, witnessing, crying. She, 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 she's so in tears, reaping joy. That's what my prayer for you. you. You don't know. 
you don't know when that, that is. When that, we are to continue to witness to people, to share the love of God as much as we possibly can. I don't know when to cast the dust off my feet, to shake the dust off. I don't know when not to cast my, cast my pearls to swine. Do you? But God says it's an everlasting love, and we need to share and continue to share until God takes us away, until that last breath. Share the truth. But this Thursday, when you're around that table, it may be the last Thanksgiving you have. Do you understand how close we are? Maybe the last Thanksgiving that we celebrate together. And why don't you treat it as such? And be so lovingly bold to tell those that you know that their life is so characterized by being stiff-necked and rebellious, hard-hearted, that if they don't turn to God, they're going to go to hell. Consider the prophets of old. What was Jeremiah called? Uh, the guy cried for 40 years. Cried. His witness to Israel, it was in tears. He cried for 40 years. And they beat him. They put him in prison. They put him in stocks. Eventually, they killed him. Refused to hear what he had to say. They stopped their ears, just like these did. Now, you can't help that. I don't think any of us have been crying for 40 years for those that we want to see saved, have we? Have you? 20? Yeah. So let's imitate Jeremiah. Let's cry right to the very end. And even if they stop their ears, when they take their fingers out, we'll tell them, and go, oh, by the way, did I tell you about Jesus? Yes, they stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Rabbi Saul. First mention of Saul. This is it right here. First mention. Oh, but we're going to hear a lot more about him, aren't we? And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, get him, Lord. Is that what he said? No, no. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then when he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Hmm. You like sleep? Yeah. That's, that's, that's how God likens the death of saints. We just, listen, we're going to fall asleep here and we're going to wake up there. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Yeah. Now, next time we're together, we're going to talk about the great self-deception. Who was deceived in this portion of the text? The Pharisees were deceived? Who? The people were deceived? How about this guy named Saul? Listen to me. The worst, the worst deception is self-deception. Because you don't know what's happening. You could say, oh, those poor people, they're deceived. But they're also deceiving others. And they themselves are deceived, right? So we, we, we need to pray that God would use us to open up eyes. Now, it's amazing that what is going to take place with Saul, but next week we're going to talk about the massive deception that exists in our culture today, in the church culture. It's unbelievable to me how there's such a lack of an understanding of the truth. Who Name me two major evangelicals with a national platform who are hated by most other evangelicals. John MacArthur. Why would anybody hate John MacArthur? Why? He tells the truth too much. But he does it lovingly. Who would be the other one? Franklin Graham. Now, Franklin Graham? Wait a minute. That's Billy Graham's son. 
How could anybody hate Billy Graham's son? How could anybody be mad at Billy Graham's son? Why? He speaks the truth. He speaks the truth to a society that no longer can endure the truth. They stop their ears, and they just as soon destroy the messenger to kill the message. You understand that? Mm. The final solution. Get rid of the people of the book. You get rid of the messengers, and you get rid of their message. Well, that's precisely what Satan wants to do today through the true body of Christ. Amen? David, you got a closing song? Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.